Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, we'll finish the 8th chapter tonight, and, and then again we'll continue our Christmas series, Christmas Revealed series, uh, on Sunday. We'll be in the book of Luke this Sunday uh, when the angels come to the shepherds, so if you're coming Sunday, that's where we'll be at. But tonight we're finishing the 8th chapter of Proverbs. Uh, let's see, the last time in November that I would have been up here, I was down in Williamsburg for a uh, town hall meeting with, uh, I'm on the board there, and so I was there with Pastor Tom and uh, one of his assistants, we were talking with the, the folks there, and then, um, let's see, I was out of town, town the week after Thanksgiving, so that uh, brings us to now. So we're going to finish the 8th chapter tonight. Uh, Starting with verse 22, I'm going to read verses 22 through 36 of Proverbs 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to get one in your hand, and it should be marked already. Starting with verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. What a verse, huh? Before there was ever an earth, when there, was no, there, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no mountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instructions and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors, for whoever finds me finds life, whoever uh, and, and obtains favor from the Lord. And he who sins against, his, uh, against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this gathering here this evening. We're grateful for this month in which we celebrate your birth. We're grateful, Lord, for the freedoms to gather here. We're thankful uh, for this place. Uh, Lord, we've been in this building, in this property for a little over uh, 14 months now. So we thank you for bringing us here and, and all the just wonderful things you've done, the souls that have been saved and the lives that are being changed and the growth. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for uh, just knitting a body together. And we look forward to what you'll be doing in the coming year. And Lord, we know that the simplicity of opening your word is valued and treasured by you above anything else that we do as far as just worship, that your word is the centerpiece. And Jesus, you are the word. And so we open your word tonight, and we ask that you would speak to us. You'd have preeminence here. May you increase. May we all decrease. And may we come under the authority and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, a little bit by way of brief review of the first half of chapter 8, um, the message that I did a few weeks back, it was called The Height of Wisdom, and we looked at uh, the fact that uh, wisdom cries out from a high place, 
and that God speaks of the fact that uh, wisdom uh, is calling out in, in similar fashion uh, the the false church or the the things that are false religions in this world and 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 even uh, we talked about just the immorality the immoral woman how uh, there is a uh, luring or a calling that the enemy does to the world uh, wisdom is the true call because there's you know they kind of the, the Pied Piper that the world kind of follows uh, the music of the world or the voice of the world or the system of the world uh, but then there's the voice of God that calls from a high place and uh, everything that comes from the Lord is foundationally true and, and it is the essence and the standard uh, of life and the fear of the Lord we looked at in verse 13 to hate evil and the fact that counsel comes from the Lord and all of these things uh, bring about a rest in our life that when we heed the word of God we, we heed that which comes from on high as opposed to heeding that which is coming from below and the enemy is actually bringing up the muck and the mire and the filth, and God is bringing down every good and perfect gift, what comes down from the Father of lights. So we, uh, we looked at the, the height of wisdom, where is wisdom coming from? And then in this uh, chapter, it takes a little bit of a turn, in te- and, we've been, and, and if you noticed, uh, we have here uh, mentions of the forming of the earth even before the earth. And so if you're taking notes tonight, you'll note that uh, the time in our study tonight is called Long Before Creation and the Source and the Promise of Wisdom. And there's a promise that we'll look at, and that is life at the very end of this uh, text. Uh, But then inside that singular promise, there's multiple promises to us, right? So we have other things uh, as a believer uh, that we can expect uh, with this promise of life, not just in the life to come, but even now. But I want to look at three things from, uh, from these verses tonight. And the first thing I want to look at is what I've titled, The Origin of Everything. The Origin of Everything. If in our country today, everyone understood and believed in the origin of everything, we'd be in a lot better shape, Right? We wouldn't have abortions if everyone believed in the or If you really believe that God formed the baby in the womb, nobody would say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and go against God. Nobody would understand. If we had really an understanding of where everything comes from, nobody would say, let's take the Ten Commandments out of the schools. Who in the world would do that if you knew that you'll someday have to answer, for, answer to God for this, right? You, you know, by the way, whoever... Whoever does that, if they stay in that state, they're not going to be able to come to God one day and say, well, I didn't want to offend all the other religions. That'll work in this setting, but it won't work when you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, his law is above all the other laws. And we can go on down the list of saying things that wouldn't be prevalent today if everyone understood the origin of everything and accepted the true origin of everything. And you come along with Darwin, the origin of species, and ever since that, and by the, you know, there was people before him that, that had other theories, but the predominance of world history is at least most of mankind believe that somebody created everything we see. You know, even if you went to foreign lands, the apostles would find they might think some other god created everything, but almost everyone believed that somebody created everything. It's only really in the last, let's say, 200 years, less than the last 200 years, that there's been this massive uptick in everyone believing that it created itself. 
And so we have with that, if there is no, uh, if there is no definitive creator, then really we make up any rules we want. And that's what we see uh, taking place in our life and our society today, and not only here, but around the world. But Solomon uh, brings us to the origin of everything. He was uh, the wisest man to ever live, and yet somehow he didn't seem to write about evolution, did he? People would come from all over the world to have him talk about what wisdom was. I mean, he really, I don't think we could uh, even understand the uh, intellectual capacity of, and he was human just like us, but he really was brilliant beyond what anyone would actually, if you could think of the smartest person you could think of today, he had incredible intelligence. But the one thing he, his intelligence wasn't, uh, it didn't supersede the fact that he would say, well, I'm so smart that it must have been a Big Bang Theory. It must have been something else. But he understood that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the creator of all things. And so we want to look at these passages first, starting in verse 22. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. So verse 22, and mentions this word beginning. This is the Hebrew word reshith. And it means, wait for it, this is really deep. It means beginning. <laughs> this word beginning, even in the Hebrew, it means beginning. It can also mean first. So beginning or first. So Solomon is speaking about the same beginning of creation. And then the context of the next nine verses, we know definitively that this is the case. We know from the context of the next nine verses that he's talking about creation beginning. Not just the beginning of a century or beginning of a decade, but we know he's speaking specifically about the creation of not just the world, but the universe. Because we live in the world, but the world is in the universe. And he's talking about all of it. I've been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was ever an earth. Well, before there was an earth, and before there were the stars, and before there were anything in the galaxy. Before all of this, where else do we see mentions of the beginning or of creation in Scripture? And when we see it, who is prominently mentioned in most of those passages? Jesus, right? He's prominent in those passages. You know John 1.1. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the, what? Beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. You see some of these same words from Proverbs 8? In him was life, and the life was the light. Yeah, I love lights, right? Light of man, right? So John, by the Holy Spirit, could have started anywhere, the Holy Spirit says, start at the beginning. Go all the way back to the beginning. Before there was anything, the, the foundation of the gospel is if God didn't create the world, then there's no need for the gospel because everything comes after the creation, the fall of man and sin, all of that is what necessitates the Redeemer. But you have to have the first part right. You know, Billy Graham said for years, if, if you don't have a problem with Genesis 1-1, you won't have a problem with the rest of the Bible. But if you have a problem with Genesis 1-1, you're going to have a problem with a lot of the rest of the Bible. 
That's what we see today. People that don't believe that God created anything, therefore they make up their own rules. They have their own Ten Commandments. But everything's predicated upon the beginning. John says that the Gospel of John, which the whole Gospel of John mentions the word believe more than any of the other four Gospels. The other three, four in total. But the word believe is mentioned in John more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why? Because that, that book, the book of John, is foundational in laying out the case that unless a person believes, there is no saving faith. You have to believe on these things. That's what the whole John 3.16 is just one of the many times the word believe is mentioned. But the beginning of that book starts off with in the beginning was the word. And the word, Jesus created the world, and then he comes into the very world. That, you know, Here we are celebrating this month of uh, Advent, where his first Advent coming to the earth. We celebrate that he came into this world, the very world he created, laying in a wooden manger of trees that he spoke into existence, finally laying on a wooden cross that he also spoke those same trees into existence. And so this is uh, where we have this uh, word that we looked at Sunday, Emmanuel, God with us, that he would come into the very world he created. And so that's, the, that's what John lays out there in John 1.1. But that's not the only place. There's numerous other spots that we could look at. Take, for example, Hebrews 1.2. Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. This is speaking not just of the heaven that we see, the blue skies every day, but the worlds beyond our world, well beyond the Milky Way galaxy, all the way through the entire cosmos and universe, that he's appointed heir of all these things, so he owns it all, but he also formed it all. Hebrews 1, 2. How about Colossians 1, 15 through 18? Now this is a powerful statement in three verses. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. No one can look at God and live, but Jesus we can look upon. Now, when we get to heaven, that's a different story. In our, in our glorified bodies, I believe we will look at the Father. There's verses that seem to indicate that. But right now, you would not be able to look at the Father and live. But you could look upon Jesus, well, as long as he veils a certain amount of his glory. So he, he could make it so you couldn't live looking at him either. But he's the, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. It's an odd thing. They were created through him and actually for him. It goes on. He is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. There's the word again, the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Notice how uh, Paul in Colossians, similar to John, lays out the creation first and then ties in the gospel with it. That the church is mentioned there. The creation and the church are actually both, this, he's the head of creation, but he's the head of the church. He's birthed the universe, but he also birthed the church. Did he not? He birthed Israel, for example. He birthed the universe. He birthed us if we have new life. So all of these things are a statement of that everything has been spoken, or has been created by his spoken word. This is an absolute and unequivocal statement by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul 
that Christ made the universe and that he holds it together and that he did it for his own will and for his own glory. You know, it's, it tells us that in the scriptures that, that God, as if he needs anything from us, literally says that, and he doesn't need anything from us. We'll get to that a little bit later. Now, I love this statement. It comes from uh, allaboutcreation.org. Um, they have a statement here. When, observing the, uh, when you observe the world around us, listen to this statement. It says, paradoxically, the fundamental ingredient of the material world is not material. While its transmission depends on material means, sound waves, electromagnetic signals, ink and paper, photographic images, and the like, information itself neither consists nor is a product of matter. Now, this aligns perfectly with uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, or Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, uh, 15 and through 18, because it says that he holds everything together. All thing, by him, all things consist. That word consist in the Greek is holds it together. Where it says consist, he's literally, uh, it either says bound together or held together. Now, I love all the many evidences for creation. I don't know how many of you have studied uh, evidences for creation. You can look at apologetics for this. There's many books written, Institute for Creation Research, Answers in Genesis, many, many that are really good ones. Uh, we've, had, we've actually had some of these folks come and speak at the church, and, uh, and I appreciate all of that. And when you think about some of the evidence, uh, take, for example, the incomprehensible size of the universe. And yet, when you look at the incomprehensible size of the universe and you read NASA's findings and the studies of uh, whether it be Albert Einstein and everything else that, that's come uh, over the years, what we see today is it has a mathematical precision that we can even, we can even whether it be uh, putting up um, Verizon, putting up uh, a satellite a beam that's going to uh, make sure your cell phone works, that they can count on where it will be, which we call GPS, right? There's a mathematical precision of the universe. And not only for the things like that, but the, the galaxies themselves, the orbits of planets, even some of the comets have a mathematical, they can predict because there's an exact circuit that they're on. Or how about this one? The Earth's precise location for the facilitation of life. You know if it's altered just a tiny bit, we all die of either heat or cold. There's no other, there's no other option. It's a very fragile planet, but yet it's very strong. Um, it's fragile, but God's made it strong enough to stand to the very end of where he says, all right, that's the end of it. Or the complexity of a single strand of DNA, which we're still learning volumes about. <coughs> Much more, they've learned more about DNA in our lifetime than the rest of the world combined of history. Now you get ancestry and all these ones. Send in your swab. Learn who you are, where you come from. Uh, Bill Gates, who I worked for for 13 years uh, when I was at Microsoft, he said the complexity of a single strand of DNA, he said, talks about the uh, complexity of that, uh, is just, it's really mind-bending when you look at it. Just the complexity of one single strand of DNA. 
He talked about, uh, he goes on the quote, he said, it's more complex than any software. You think about all the software today, all the complexity, it's more complex than all of them combined. And God replicates it again and again and again. We're still learning things about these. Listen to this quote from physicist Paul Davies. Uh, he's, he's a physicist. I think he's at Arizona State right now. But he says, scientists are slowly waking up to an inconvenient truth. The universe looks suspiciously like a fix. The issue concerns the very laws of nature themselves. Moving on, the quote he says, for an example, neutrons are just a tad heavier than protons. If it were the other way around, atoms couldn't exist because all the protons in the universe would have decayed into neutrons shortly after the Big Bang. No protons, then no atomic nucleuses, and no atoms. No atoms, no chemistry, no life. It's like baby bear's porridge and the story of Goldilocks. The universe seems to be just right for life. Right? You gotta love when smart physicists distill it down to a Goldilocks story for us. But it's true. If the weight of those are just slightly altered, shortly after the Big Bang, the entire universe dies, and there would have never been life. Now, I think it's also noteworthy to understand the numerous fallacies and the non-scientific assumptions and theories of evolution, at least to be familiar with them. If there's a more preposterous theory out there, I haven't seen it. Now, you'll be mocked in today's world by saying something like that. But most of the people that talk about evolution, they can't defend it for two minutes. They just spout it. They don't really have any, they don't have any depth of understanding of it. They've been told. Well, I was told this sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, twelfth grade, first year, second year, third year, fourth year of college. Now explain it in detail. Uh, you ever, you ever seen them interview these college kids on the street, like uh, in the Leno show and stuff? The ants, they can't even answer where like Austin is. England? No, it's Texas or something like that, you know? <laughs> Much less defend a theory like evolution, but it is noteworthy to understand some of these non-scientific assumptions. And they're non-scientific. They can't even be observed. The assumptions and the theories of evolution, uh, such as that an explosion of nothing set everything into motion of something, and you have a perfectly orchestrated universe after that. Now, when have you ever seen an explosion build something? When have you ever seen an explosion take place and voila, a castle appears? <laughs> Intricately designed, every angle, fitted. I mean, the universe is far more... You ever been to, anyone ever been to Disney World, the, the castle there? It's, it's really cool, and they light it up, and it's intricate and everything. I mean, the universe is far more intricate than Disney's Magic Kingdom castle. Far more complex, far more lit up, far more mathematically sound, and yet... You could do an explosion, you're never going to get that. Then you have Earth's biosphere. We talked about that. Uh, the fact that it has to be at the exact right spot. How about intermediate life forms? We've never found any intermediate life forms. All these missing links. Yeah, they're going to be missing forever. <laughs> they're going to be forever missing. There is no links. I'd be, you know, I'd be, I'd sometimes like... Uh, I joke around with my daughter says, if we came from monkeys, why do we still have monkeys? 
They're hanging out with us. We're, you know, we've we got a lot in common with the monk. We have a lot in common with a banana, too. We're all both made of like 80% water. So that does, does that mean we descend from a banana? So, I mean, just the things that, that people, the foolishness that man wants to believe in today. You have the, uh, there's not even a viability of uh, intermediate life forms. You, you hear the one that, uh, oh, birds come from dinosaurs. It's impossible. The, the lung capacity and the breathing of the oxygen, what they need for air liftoff, the, dyna- the, uh, the, the skeletal system doesn't support that if you, if you said, it, well, if we go from dinosaur to bird, there's no intermediate period where it wouldn't, wouldn't either die and not be able to breathe or it certainly couldn't take off. But there's, all, there's studies. You can read up on these things. I'm probably uh, butchering them a little bit. But you know, these are things that you can read up on number of the creation sites. Then there's things like the fossil layer charts that have been around for I don't know how long. These have been debunked so many times. All, they're debunked by actual fossil layers. There's the drawings of them, and all you have to do is go to the Grand Canyon or numerous other places around the world, and then you'll actually see layers that completely defy the fossil layer that's actually plastered on so-and-so middle school wall. And, and everyone believes them. Say, but this picture doesn't exist in the world, but you can show them an actual fossil layer, and they'd say, well, I don't know how to, how to explain. I don't know why a tree actually goes through all of those layers. So again, we've got these kind of fallacies, and, uh, and it's noteworthy to, to understand them and, and appreciate them. But Solomon doesn't defend any of these. As a matter of fact, the fact of the matter is, nowhere in the scriptures, God simply just states what he did. He doesn't spend a lot of time in scripture defending, and in case you won't see apologetics, you won't see uh, in the scripture God giving a bunch of data points. He simply says, this is what I did. And he's not near as bothered by people that say, I don't believe it, because he knows he's going to have a face-to-face meeting with them eventually, Right? And everyone will get that call to the principal's office, if you will, where everyone will give an account for what they believed or what they didn't believe. And so we see in the text here, it's just simply stated. It's speaking of wisdom, I have been established from everlasting, from the verse 23, from the beginning before there was an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, no fountains abounding with water. So he's describing the material world that we see all around us. Verse 25, the mountains, the hills, all before these things, the fields, the primal dust of the world, the heavens, verse 27. Each of these things we can see. You look at verse 20, uh, the, the latter half of 27, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep. Interesting that, you know, there was a time when the world's smart guys believed that the world was square, a flat plane. You know, God never speaks of the world as a square like this. He just talks about the world being round. It's not only here, it's also found uh, in Isaiah 40, verse 22. It says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. By the way, we now know that the heavens keep expanding. That's the stretching that, that uh, Isaiah the prophet speaking of, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. 
the word circuit mean, the words uh, circle means circuit. So God was even describing that there's a circuit involved with the earth. That he was, and we found this out later. Oh, the earth is actually in a circuit. Well, the earth revolves around the sun, not the other way around. We find out the sun actually revolves too. It turns. It doesn't sit still. So every, no matter what uh, science looks at, the Bible is always verified as true. Uh, I, one of the most fascinating things, um, for years people mock that the Bible will say, well, if it's not a square, why does the Bible refer to the four corners of the earth? You ever heard that? Do you realize that there's actually four high points if you take a sphere? shaped like this, um, and you put, a perfect, you put a perfect cube inside the sphere, it'll actually have four points that hit the edge, and the earth, NASA found, has four high points. The bubble, isn't that pretty cool? So when the angels stand at the four corners and hold the four winds of the earth the Bible talks about, God actually knows what he's talking about there too. But no one would have ever figured that out until modern day, NASA thought, wow, there's actually four bubbles on the sphere, where it's like a per, the cube inside of a circle. Pretty cool stuff. But God knows because he was there, right? He established the clouds, verse 28. He strengthened the fountains of the deep. He assigned the sea to its limit. Now, after the flood, the, 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 wor- the world was covered with water, so we have things like the Mariana Trench and, the, and you know, parts of the uh, oceans, they collapsed down for deep trenches, and then the water's recede down into it, and ever since, and when that happened, when that mass goes down, then you have the plates lifting up, and you get things like the Andes Mountains and the Himalayas, and they, they jet it up, and that's why actually, you know, when you, you go, you're riding on the Appalachian Trail, and you're looking at exposed rock, and you see all these layers, and they're like this, instead of like this, because when they were laid down after the flood, they were flat, but then when God caused the waters to recede, that tipped them this way, right? And they jet up. So all those layers, and then, of course, and when, like you see in the Grand Canyon, when they were still a soft and pliable before they become rock, they actually, they actually bend. Rock doesn't bend like that, by the way. So it has to be in a liquid form for that to happen. But we see that all of these things, when you really look around the world, the evidence is there that God is the creator of all things. And he you, when someone gets saved, they don't need to become an apologist and be able to debate someone from National Geographic. Matter of fact, if somebody spent the same amount of time in prayer and in the Word, they would win more people over by simply saying, thus saith the Lord, than the person who can, you know, I don't worry about, like, I, I read stuff, like, that I, just, I find it fascinating, and a lot of it I just retained because it just, uh, I just am interested in it. But I don't really need that stuff to win people to Christ. I would be better off to just pray and read the Word. You could know every fact about creation, science, versus evolution and not be near as effective as the person who is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't worry about, well, i got to learn all this stuff, or how can I, what if somebody, what if somebody stumps me? Well, if you have the Holy Spirit, you'll stump them. Not in the sense that they, they won't let you know that you stumped them, but the heart will be pricked, and that's more important. Because this is what we're going to, as we come to the end of this, this is what God's really getting to, is he wants 
people to come out of foolishness into the wisest decision they would ever make, right? You'll never argue anyone into, uh, as much as I, I think apologetics serves a purpose, and I, and, and I have great respect for the Ravi Zacharias of the world. But by the way, the ones that are most effective have a great heart for souls in addition to being great at apologetics. That makes sense? If you're just really good at apologetics, but you don't have a heart for souls, then it really won't, it won't ever be that effective. But the reason why I think men like Ravi Zacharias are effective is because he truly has a heart to see people saved. And that's what makes him effective. It's not his deep intellect, although he's very smart. I'd feel really dumb just hanging out with him. But let's take a look at the next the source of creation. We know who the origin is. Um, one other thing before we move on, uh, before the origin. In verse 23, a couple quick things here. Uh, it says, I have been established. That word established is equivalent to, in the New Testament, when we see anointed. So you see Messiah right there. Messiah. Uh, which begs the question before we move on to this next one. So is... When it says, I was there, when it says, I was in the beginning, he possessed me at the beginning, is this about Jesus or is it about wisdom? Yes. It's about wisdom and it's about Jesus. Because Jesus, one of his names is what? Wonderful Counselor. Uh, Jesus is the personification of wisdom, just like he's the personification of love, truth, power, peace. Wouldn't you agree Jesus is the personification? He doesn't just provide peace. He is peace. He doesn't just provide love. God is love, right? So he's the personification of all these things. So as you read this text, say, well, I thought this chapter was about wisdom. It is. But now it looks like it might be about Jesus. It is. Isn't it great when you see Jesus is in the New Te- Old Testament? And he was in the shadows in the Old Testament, but he comes bursting into the darkness, dawning as we celebrate this month in the New Testament. Now, let's take a look at this uh, next couple of verses, verse 30 and 31, uh, which I've titled The Eternal Relationship just for these two verses. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. What a window view of a description of taking place inside the Godhead here. This is a real description the Holy Spirit is providing. Now, Did Jesus create the world? Or did God create the world? Is God separate from Jesus? Or or are they one and the same? Yes, yes, and yes. Let Let me restate that. Did Jesus create the world? Yes, he did. Did God create the world? Yes, he did. Is God separate from Jesus? Yes, they are. Are they one? Yes, they are. We don't like answers like that in our binary, finite mind, right? Hold on. It's either this or this. 
With God, it's both and. With a lot of things in our life, it's one or the other. Now, this is beyond our comprehension, but just like creation, God declares the separate but unified person of the Godhood. Just like God says, I created the world, he says, this is my nature. I am one and I am three separate. He doesn't have to defend it. He doesn't have to say, well, I guess, uh, I guess you're coming to heaven after all, even though you didn't believe it because I didn't explain it well enough to you. God will never say that to us. He'll say, I declare it, you simply believe it. I don't have any trouble with this. I, don't know, I, I guess most of you don't either now. But there was a time that maybe many of you did. I've run into new Christians that, that are pulling their hair out. Like, I've underlined this in my Bible, and you, how is this possible? I'm like, how is it possible that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God? Can you ever explain? Can anyone ever adequately explain that? No. But yet it's true. Can you adequately explain that God has no beginning? None. Just think on it for a while. It has to have some beginning. No, he has no beginning, ever. He's always been. We cannot, our mind cannot really wrap around the fact that something could always be. Now, we can just, theor- we can just hear it and accept it, but when you really start to think about it, how do, what do you mean no beginning, ever? Beyond our comprehension. So the relationship here is what is being uh, displayed. The relationship of God the Father... And Jesus, I was beside him as a master craftsman. I was his delight, rejoicing always before him. Beside him? In him? One? Separate? Different? Together? Talking? Talking to themselves? Talking? I don't, sometimes I don't know how to explain it. I'm okay with that, by the way. We'll get to hear the full explanation when we get to heaven. But the relationship of God the Father and Jesus, it can't be fully described. Did you hear that? The relationship of God the Father and Jesus... Every book ever written about it, from the time Jesus rose till now, every book at Lifeway, every book that is sitting in the, you know, London's biggest libraries that are, you know, books from 600 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 15, every book ever written about the relationship with God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, every book written about it can't fully describe it, but God fully declares it. Does that make sense? It can't be fully described, but it can be fully declared. It has been fully declared. We simply have to believe it and fully appreciate it, whether we understand it all or not. And we even get to look forward to being part of it in the future. Now, we already are. We're seated in the, in the, in the, we're seated in the heavenlies, but that's in future to come. God's already seen the future. He sees us seated there because if you're saved, you're saved eternally. We get to be a part of this, and we are a part of it, but we can't really appreciate the part of it until our eyes are fully open. Then we kind of understand. We're no, we'll know even as we are known. We'll know things that we couldn't even grasp. In John 6, 44, a couple of verses that kind of explain this relationship, but also who Jesus is, who the Father is, their relationship together. What does it mean to us? John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now we see Jesus is defining there, him and the Father, as separate entities. The Father sends the Son, and Jesus goes, and the Father stays behind. Right? But then on John 1, 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. 
The only, uh, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. doesn't say he was in the bosom. It says is in the bosom of the Father. That's interesting. Did he leave or is he in the bosom? John 10.30, I and my Father are one. Now we see that Jesus is saying, hey, the Father sent me and I came. But here he says, I and the Father are one. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, the plurality of the Trinity. By the word, you know, or maybe don't, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. And yet the doctrine is found very very easily discernible. It's all throughout the Scripture. The Trinity is, in, is a doctrine that you'll see as clear as can be, but you won't see the word Trinity. Trinity is a word we use to define the three in one. But we see the three entities of God, the relationship of God the Father, Jesus His Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we see the oneness and the unity. But not only that, we see here the love. I was beside Him. I was His daily delight. You know, God says of Jesus, my son in whom I am well pleased. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. The unity, um, they needed nothing outside of the Trinity. The father, son, they did, you know, God did not need us, right? He didn't need angels. He still doesn't need any of that stuff, right? So why did he create it? Well, We'll find out fully, but he, for his own glory, but really to allow us to be part of all this, part of that relationship. In John 17, 24, it says, Father, Jesus is praying to, uh, to the Father. This is shortly before going to the cross. Uh, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is saying, I want them to be part of the relationship that you and I had before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to die on a Roman cross, and he's saying, Father, the main reason that I'm going forward, in addition to his love and obedience to the Father, is that I can bring them into the relationship you and I had that we're seeing right here in Proverbs 8, verse 30 and 31, that God would delight in us as the sons of men. Amazing. The Father loves the Son, but He wants to love us through the Son. Their relationship, God the Father and God the Son, and also the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's not really uh, emphasized in this particular passage, it is in others, but the relationship between the Father and the Son, and of course the Spirit, it's everlasting, it's perfect. It's outside of our brain capacity, but God does define it, doesn't he? He defines it. He defines it as unified, love, rejoicing, delighting. These are some of the terms that he uses to define the relationship he has with the Son, well-pleased. Now, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, from no beginning, eternity past, eternity, no beginning, no end, they've always been in an eternal relationship. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, and then here in Proverbs, expresses God's desire to share that relationship, to share that oneness with us, that unity, just as he did with Adam and Eve, 
before the fall, right? Before the salt, you know, the cool of the uh, the cool of the uh, the garden there, that God would enjoy that fellowship before the fall, and and the angels that didn't fall would have that same relationship. We still see the angels that are in relationship with the Lord. Uh, pictures of that we see in the scriptures. But Jesus then, uh, he also says in John 14, verses 20 and 21, listen to these passages. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Isn't that amazing? God says, in that day, you're going to find that I'm in the Father, which you couldn't understand on this earth, and he's in me, and you'll be in us. We're grafted into his body when we take the Lord's Supper. It's just a picture that we're brought into the body and into the depth of the relationship with God the Father. And he goes on to say, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and love him and manifest myself to him. I don't understand how all that works. It's incredibly deep. By the way, isn't it interesting that Jesus' earthly father, said, I was beside him as a master craftsman, here we are in the, in the Christmas season. It's interesting that Jesus' earthly father was a carpenter, and Jesus was a carpenter. And here in Proverbs it says that the picture of God and the Son before the earth was crafted is that God was the master craftsman, and Jesus was his sidekick apprentice, if you will. And then Jesus has an earthly father who's a carpenter, and Jesus is a carpenter, and it was a, it's just another picture going backwards as most pictures in the Old Testament go forward. This one goes back to the picture that we see here. That Jesus as a boy would work side by side with Joseph, constructing and building things. But the picture is not just that Jesus was at the side of the Father. Other parts say that Jesus is the builder, right? Now that's what goes back to, did Jesus build it or did God build it? Yes. Hopefully that is clear as mud now. Last thing we want to look at as we come to a close here tonight. Did I lose it? Okay. The gateway to life. God speaks uh, in so many ways to the world. But one has to stop and listen to the clear voice of which God is calling. He's speaking to everybody. Now, most people, they're, they're not listening because they've got their earbuds in. Right? They've got the radio on. They've got TVs on. They've got music running. They've got everything drowning out that God is speaking. They're riding by trees he created. They're riding by mountains he created. You know, the reason why people, Newton could invent something, an apple could hit him, hit him on the head or something. At least they were taking time to think, right? But God is speaking, but people are drowning out the voice of God. And Satan, by the way, as Daniel said in the, in the time of the end, that things would increase in speed. And really, it's a proliferation of Satan just saying, if I can drown out the voice of God, no one will hear him. Even though, even all that we see in creation, the scriptures say in the book of Job, it's a, the mere edges of his ways, right? That the whisper of God is, is in the creation, but it's in so many other things as well. God sends creation. The, the creation, I don't know about you, but the creation speaks to me when I see a rainbow, when I see lightning bolts. When I see another incredible sky, I mean, I talk to my girls, my wife does, we're like, oh, God, look at the canvas tonight. I mean, you know, you see all of these things, rivers, waterfalls, ocean scenes. I mean, I like it all. It's amazing that the creation should speak to us, but God speaks in so many ways. He's spoken through his son. 
Hebrews says that. In these last days, he's spoken through his son. He's spoken through the apostles. He's spoken through evangelists and still speaking through evangelists. I mentioned Billy Graham. He's used men like that throughout the, throughout the ages. We have one in our life, Greg Laurie, who came out of Calvary Chapel, and God's used him in a great way. He's speaking through evangelists. He, he speaks through his word, which you're sitting under tonight, and we, we open it, I hope, uh, the other six times of the week on your own. He speaks through his word. He speaks through prophets. He speaks through pastors. He speaks through hymns. He th- speaks through carols, Christmas carols. He speaks through poems. He speaks even in dreams. God's spoken to me in dreams. Maybe some of you too. By the way, if your dream doesn't match up with Scripture, that wasn't from God, by the way. Any dream you get that doesn't line up with Scripture is not from God. That was just something you ate or something you watched. It's a combination of things you watch. You ever in dreams, like 50 things come in and think, how in the world? That, well, I was two then, and I'm thinking, you know, that ain't ended up in the dream? But if, it, if it's spiritually sound in a dream, then it'll actually match up with Scripture. It'll never contradict. But all these ways that God is speaking, and yet many close their eyes and close their ears. Jesus would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because Jesus, just because you have ears doesn't mean you'll use them. So many people do this. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, we see times where people actually shut up their ears, literally. Like they, they didn't want to hear it anymore. That's why they stoned Stephen. They didn't want to hear another word he had to say. Even though he was speaking truth, and he went all the way back to the beginning. And yet people will believe the fully concocted lies of Satan. And they'll believe this world system. They'll believe uh, you know, what Madison Avenue says or what their own... Heart says they'll even worship these lies. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, uh, it says, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. See, the lie is anything that opposes God. The lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And we see people worshiping so many forms of creation. Um, everything we see comes out of creation. That, that brand new car is just a bunch of material that came out of creation. And if people worship that and make it their God or they make their career their God or anything else, it all is the elements. Remember we talked about the fact that the physical world is just a bunch of unseen things that are held together, but Jesus said, don't worship those things. Worship me. Worship the creator. I think uh, Ray Comfort, he used to give an analogy. He said, you know, if I bought a new TV set and the kids, and I'd come home and I'd walk in the front door and they would, they would refuse to talk to me, but all, he goes, I'd get rid of the TV set. He goes, you don't worship the thing I gave you. You worship the, uh, you have a relationship. You don't worship your parents, by the way, but you have a relationship with the one that gave it. God called us into a relationship with him, but we have to want to be in that relationship. That's what God's calling. Whoever's, now, uh, verse 32, now listen, my children. For blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instructions, be wise. The wisest thing a person can do is say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not disdain it. A lot of people, I don't want to go to church. It make me feel guilty. It make me feel really bad. Well, if it brings you to repentance, it'll make you feel really good. But only once you've repented. You will feel bad if you're still in rebellion and guilt. I know I was before I got saved. I didn't, that's why I would go and then not go for months and go back, not go for months. Every time we'd get this close to going forward, and I don't want to do that. Back out the door, we'd go. I see people like that that visit our church. I don't say, hey, I haven't seen you in six months. I'm sure you've been... checked out every bar in the last six months. Now you're back. You had a really good time. Now I made you really guilty. Now you're back out there again. But at least we know that God's calling. 
There's a little bit hearing there. I pray that they uh, fully come to their senses. But what happens when a person examines the evidence of Scripture, they examine the evidence of creation, uh, they can examine the evidence of maybe your changed life, someone you work with, family member. They examine the declarations of God's Word, and they come to the right conclusion that everything God has said is wisdom and it's true. Did you know they're not saved yet? You can recognize all of that. The rich young ruler recognized all this, didn't he? He basically said, teacher, you have the words of everlasting life. Tell me what the deal is. Jesus said, here it is. He's like, he didn't doubt. He did not doubt it. He had a problem with moving forward with it. Well, if someone can know all that, now they're at the doorway. Look at what it says. Watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. You've got to enter the door. You can't just stand and say, well, I, I believe all that stuff. You've got to enter the door. Jesus said he is the door, didn't he? He said, I'm the doorway. You've got to enter through the door. You can be at the doorway of salvation, but you still have to accept and surrender to the command of God, not just say, I believe that to be true. You have to not only believe with your heart, what does it say? Confess with your mouth. To confess is to say, I am a follower of Jesus. If someone, you ever meet someone who says, I'm saved, but I'm a secret agent. I don't tell anybody I'm saved. They're not saved. You cannot accept in your mouth and never tell a single person on planet Earth. The Bible says you have to confess him. To, you actually have to be willing to say, I am a follower of Jesus. And everything that comes with that. Doesn't it mean that you're, they're going to be the next Apostle Paul? But you have to, if someone says you're a believer, you would say yes. Say, well, I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Methodist. I didn't ask you what that was. Are you a born-again believer in Jesus? Well, I'm not a born-again, but I am a good Methodist. That holds no weight in heaven, right? There will be some good Methodists in heaven, and there'll be some Methodists in the other place too. But there'll be no born-again Methodists in the other place. Make sense? So you have to not just stand at the gateway, not just comprehend it here, but accept and believe on this. And Jesus, uh, he talks about this um, in Mark 12, 34. Now, when Jesus saw that the man answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're close. You got, you got, you got the right belief system. Now submit, right? Fall upon the rock and you'll be broken. If the rock falls on you, you'll be ground into powder, the Bible says. Fall upon the rock. John 5, 21. For as the Father raised the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 35, so whoever finds me finds what? Life. Whoever finds Jesus, Jesus gives life to who he will, but he gives it to those who, he says to everyone, all who are willing, come. Anyone who comes, he will give life. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that you might have life and may have it more abundantly. Notice the last verse. It says, all who uh, hate me love death. Jesus speaks the same thing in John 10, 10, where he says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? So if you listen to Satan and say, well, I'm just going to do it my own way, like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way, right? I did it my own way. Then you love death. That's, 
I know those seem like very black and white words, but God a lot of times will use very just straightforward black and white words because he's not mincing words. Then you love death. But you say, well, I'm willing to submit and surrender, come through the door of salvation. Then you love life. And you'll receive life. But he says you'll have life more abundantly. Do you feel blessed that you've given your life to Christ? I mean, do you genuinely say, man, I'm glad I gave my life to Jesus? Or have you forgotten to say thanks for it and actually mean it? Are you glad you walked through the door that Jesus said he is? Are you glad you walked through that door? Would you ever go back to a time where you were outside that door? I, I, you know, years ago, I remember someone said, would you accept a billion dollars to spend one minute unsaved? No, I would not. One minute is long enough to die, folks. You could not pay me a billion dollars to be unsaved for one minute. Who here would do that? Just a one billion dollars? You're just going to go one minute. No, you're not that dumb, are you? But other people out there would say, well, yeah, that's a great deal. I could, I could, I could survive one minute. How do you know? Right. Wouldn't go back. Is your spiritual life growing? Are you living life more abundantly? Right? Finds life. Finds favor from the Lord in verse 35. Is there a spiritual growth in your life? This passage reminds us uh, that by grace, God has chosen us, the whole passage verse 22 down, that God's chosen us before the foundations of the world. And as I close here, I love that my God and your God, if you're saved, I love that he created this world. I love that I know he created this world. I don't have even a tiny bit of doubt. I am not remotely moved by the smartest Princeton scientist who tells me about evolution. Not even moved at all. How about you? I mean, they might as well be talking to a wall if they're trying to tell me about evolution. I believe in evolution about as much as there's no kids in here. Santa Claus. <laughs> I don't like to mess with the kids. But they, they get upset about that. It's fun for them. But I'm glad that, that our God has created this world. I'm glad that he's before the world. He's before the world, as the text tells us. I'm glad he still holds the world and the entire universe in his hands. I'm glad he's still reaching out to those who are blinded by this world or in love with this world. And that he's soon going to take us out of this world to be at home in his world in that eternal relationship, in that paradise known as heaven, and the relationship with God the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Amen? That's close. Lord, we so look forward to the fullness is we see in the, even the marital relationship, we're in this betrothal period to you. We're already in the marriage. We're betrothed to you much as Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but Lord, the consummation, the finality of the wedding, Lord, will come when we are in your presence, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when it all comes together. But Lord, we, we are grateful, we are thankful Lord, we are hopeful today because we're already married to you. We've already been born again. We've already been made your bride. We've already been adopted into this relationship. And Lord, right now, it's just, we see just an inkling of what it all means. But Lord, we look forward to that day when you make it fully known to us. And for all eternity, continue to show us the depths of your love and your majesty and your glory. Lord, we pray that these things, even in this Christmas season, just Proverbs 8 would be just another reminder to speak the light and the truth to people that are still in darkness. 
to not keep the good news to ourselves, but as the shepherds would do, they'd go out and tell others. And we thank you for this time this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed, guys.